God, it's easy to get lost in a story like this and to realize it happened thousands of years ago in a primitive land and they don't have the sophistication or the technology or the understanding. And it's easy to brush us off as a fairy tale or just a classic story. And yet, if we really explore this, we realize the same issues back there are the issues that we face ourselves. That the battle for our hearts and our whole lives goes on daily. It may not be Baal, it may not be Asherah poles, but God, we certainly struggle with a heart that desires to be undivided for you. And so, we need you, God. We want your strength. We need to hear you, and we need you to come and bring us into the place you want us to be, to become the people that you have called us to be. And as we explore your word, humble our hearts. Increase the hunger for our souls, for you, and feed us with your living word. Bless us this day that we will walk away with a challenge and a conviction and an encouragement that we serve the one true living God. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. One of the greatest universal truths in the whole Bible is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 16, 13. And Jesus says, no servant can serve two masters. Um, have you ever heard the word triangulation? Where you pit people against each other? You know, we talked about this a few weeks ago where your child will say, Mom, can I have chocolate? And your mom says, no. So she goes, okay. So she goes to dad. Hey, dad, what are you doing? Can I have chocolate? Oh, uh, sure. And then you know how the child pits that? And we have this human nature to, to do this. And Jesus says, no servant can serve two masters. You can't. And then he says, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. It's fascinating. You could try to hold two kings and lords. And what Jesus is saying, eventually, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to end up loving one and despise the other. You can't juggle two gods. So he says, you cannot serve both God and money. And it's true because it's not just about money. Jesus is saying anything else other than God, you cannot serve. So we live in this day and age where there's a book written by a pastor named Andy Stanley, and he, the title of it is Choosing to Cheat. And it sounds scintillating, but it, the premise is whenever we are parents or whenever we're adults, we don't have the time of the day to do everything for everyone. So his point is you're going to end up cheating something. And what do most people end up cheating? Not their work, not their boss, not their paycheck. Most people end up cheating the most convenient and easy to cheat, their families, their children, their God. So he says, if you're going to cheat, and we are going to cheat, cheat on the right things. Learn to say no. So that's the premise. And this is what Jesus is saying. You can't serve both God and money. So when people say, I work hard for my family, I, I, I said that too. And when you look at the heart, and they mean, I love my family. I'm doing this for my family. I work hard for my family. I want to really question and say, challenge that and say, majority of the people, it's not motivated by genuine love for family. There's pride there. There's a feeling of accomplishment. There's a desire to prove oneself, to get more things. So it's not simply, I love my family, but if you check your heart, there's a lot of wars going on there. 
So we know this struggle that having many masters and what we live for is a key, is a key problem. And in 1 Kings 18, we see a glaring example of that. People, you can't serve Jesus and anything else. It's not both and, it's either or. I can't be serving Jesus as a pastor and then say, you know what, but I believe all universal truth is okay, so, you know, let's just be nice. It's just, they don't, they don't, they're not compatible. When Jesus says something like, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except for me, it's hard for me to say, I love you, Jesus, and I believe you, and also say, you know, everything else, you know, whatever you believe is important to you, it's, it's valid. Either Jesus has to be wrong or he's right. So that's not something new. Many thousands of years ago, God is talking to Israel, and they are completely idolatrous. Uh, Here's a good definition of idolatry, by the way. Some of us, you don't have wooden poles that you bow down to at home, do you? If you did, okay. So after worship, we don't go home and then put up a wooden pole in our room and start bowing down to it. So what is idolatry? Idolatry is not that. It's simply this. St. Augustine, I like his definition. Idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used or using anything that ought to be worshipped. I love that definition. What is idolatry? It's taking anything that ought to be used, money, job, my strength, my intelligence, even my family, and worshiping these things versus using them for something else and taking God Instead of worshiping him, using God so I could get to what I want. Brilliant. So in 1 Kings 18, the nation of Israel is completely divided because of Solomon. And there were how many tribes of Israel originally? Uh, You know this. Come on. Twelve. And then they got divided. So there's ten in the north and two in the south. And they're two different countries. They're at civil war. And in the north, there's a king named Ahab. And this is what the Bible says about Ahab. Ahab, son of Amri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. That's bad. That's like saying, and the president of this country out there was the worst president in all of history. You know, that's kind of bold statement. The Bible is saying this king was the worst. Well, what did he do? He married a daughter of a Sidonian king named Jezebel. And because of her, he began to introduce worship and serving Baal. Now, can you imagine, we're the people of God, amen? Right? Can you imagine if I come one Sunday and I say, I'm sorry, we're not going to just worship Jesus. We are going to worship Venus. We're also going to worship Mars. We're going to worship the Greek god, Theos. Let us worship him together. Some of you would say, oh, that's kind of cool, which I get scared about. And then the PNCs like Glenna, Rick, Don, they'll be having a, just a blood pressure rise. And if I set up a poll here and I say, guys, we need to worship the Yankees. Can we have a moment to pray for the Yankees? You, you will not tolerate that, would you? And I'm not being crass or being silly. The king of Israel is the one that God has said you will represent to the world through your nation, that you are my people. And what they have done is completely flipped, and God is heartbroken. 
And what God is saying to Israel is, I can't accept that. So the king sets up an altar for Baal. He sets up a Asherah pole, and it says, the God of Israel, and he angered God more than any other kings. And then King Ahab's wife Jezebel, on top of that, was killing off people who were saying, this is not right. So his wife was going around murdering prophets who said, there is one God. We can't turn from him. And she says, okay, die. And so this king is embracing this culture. And guys, this is Israel. Israel. Things are bad. So the What I want to say is, on that point, God will never bless a nation that is idolatrous. He is never going to bless a nation or people that are idolatrous. And this nation who's established these gods invoked a punishment from God, judgment, and this is the punishment. 1 Kings chapter 7, just before it. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. And I was thinking, like, maybe we need to repent in California because we're so short on water. (laughs) Some of you sinning, stop! Uh, But this is a specific command, and this is brilliant of God. You know why? Do you know what Baal stands for? He is the God of fertility and flourishment of life. And what do you need for life? H2O. He needs water. And the brilliance of God is, this is the God you're going to worship. Let's see how strong he is. And God starts three years before and say, you're God who is about to bless fertility, reproduce, flow with water and life. I'm going to cut his legs off. This is your God. Where is your water? And for three years, the brooks dried up. Fields died and a famine entered. But miraculously, Israel is surviving by God's sustenance. So God's brilliance is that the gods that we worship, he's going to challenge and say, is that really the God that's going to sustain you? And God is saying, you got your eyes on the wrong, wrong prize. So it's hard to find this. So Elijah meets face to face with King Ahab. The duel is on. So Ahab goes to Elijah. Is that you? Oh, troublemaker. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that human nature, by the way? Did you ever go through a teenage life where you were causing trouble for your parents? And you dare say to your parents when they put their foot down and you said, you just are bad people. You don't let me do what I want. Come on. Come on. Come on. Let's, let's be. Come on. I've done it. Raise your hand. Liars. If you. Come on. And then you look back now and you say, boy, mom and dad were right. But we went there. We're the ones causing trouble. And we say to dad and mom, you're so unfair. You don't, you're a Christian. You're not even being gracious and nice. Listen, Jason, I don't want you drinking beer three in the morning, driving a car. You're going to hurt other people. You're going to hurt you. If you think I'm being mean by making you stay home, so be it. And you see how we're so lost in our own deranged rebellion that we actually look at the right people and say, you troublemaker. King Ahab. You brought this drought. And what does Elijah say? Let's get it straight here, Eli- I mean Ahab. Your dad and your family have brought this upon us. You're the darn king. <laughs> and you have brought our ki- nation in this situation. So Elijah's response, you're the king. And he says, 
let's cut to the chase. Which God is a true God? Who is the true God? So he goes to the people and he says to the people, and it's a good question for us. I want to say this to us. How long will you waver between two opinions? If God is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But don't waver between two opinions. What a powerful statement for today where we say everyone is valid. There's every religion is good. You know, you don't have to be all serious about God. Just have him in your heart. And this is the God from Genesis, 66 books in the Bible that are saying, if God is God, he loves you. Give yourself to him. But don't waver between him and all these other things. And I think God is saying to us today, how long will you people waver between two opinions? If God is God, give him your all. If he's not, stop coming to church and wasting your time and just do your worship them fully. But don't battle. And so he calls us to the people and he says, let's have a duel. Let's bring it down. Let's go to Mount Carmel. And it's just Mount Carmel, by the way. You know that if this window was clear, there's a hill right across the street with that big water tank? Mount Carmel looks just like that. I looked it up. It's this big precipice so the whole, like, thousands of people could look up and see what's going on. And on top of that, Elijah calls a challenge. I'm the only one left. Bring your 450 prophets of Baal and 400 false prophets. That makes how many? Eight hundred fifty, and then, and he says, "Let's go, one on eight fifty, challenge accepted." <laughs> so they go and they say, "What's the duel? You set up your altar. I'll set up my altar. Get your bowl, cut it up, chop it up, put wood on it, and I'll do the same." And here is the test. This is it. You pray to your God, and a fire comes down, consumes it. You win. My God does it. I win. And the people said. Great idea. So, by the way, you, get, you learn a lesson from that. We know in hindsight that Elijah wins, but a cool lesson here is this. You never go only based on majority. You go based on truth. Amen? I don't care if 9,000 people are saying Jesus is not God and you believe Jesus is your God. Then you stand up and say, I will stand alone for him, not because of the crowd says so. And I think the lesson, one small lesson here, this is a side, but for Elijah to stand up against 850 people to say, I will stand for this one single truth. I think it speaks volumes to us today. I don't care what the culture says. People are like, the world is changing. They all believe this. And I say, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I care that I love these people, but my opinion is not based on how everyone goes. My opinion is based on the word of God and who Jesus is. So if what I agree in Christ goes against the culture, so be it. But I'm not going to assimilate to the culture. And Elijah holds his ground. By the way, that's tough. I think in high school, remember that one of the toughest things was peer pressure, right? And then you realize adulthood, we never have peer pressure. Thank God. Right? You don't have any peer pressure at all. And we know we're being facetious. 
So how do you determine truth? You look at the word of God. You look at the triune God. And Elijah goes to battle. And so they pray. And I love this part. Elijah, Elijah's funny. I want to meet Elijah one day. And then when they're morning tonight, he goes, you guys are so many, you go first. So they're dancing around. Oh, Baal, answer. And then Elijah taunts them. And he's like, hey, maybe he's busy. Maybe he's, maybe he's asleep. Talk louder. And then they all start yelling louder. Oh, Baal. And I realize, what do they do? They get so desperate, they start cutting themselves. And you know what I found fascinating about that? The true God doesn't let us cut ourselves up to invoke him. The true God lets his blood be poured out for us so that we can be together. And no matter how much Baal's prophets yelled, sang, and danced, Elijah was like, hey, it's getting late. Lunchtime is here. I'm getting hungry. You guys done? And Elijah turns to God and he says such a, such a powerful prayer. And this is all he says. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, yeah, I know who you are. You're not just a thing. You are the God of my ancestors. Let it be known today that you are God. In a nation where they've worshipped Baal and Asherah, let it be known today that we recognize your God. And that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God. I love that. It's not answer me so I don't look foolish. It's not answer me so I could be right. It's answer me so this nation that's turned their back on you can say, what have we done? How do we turn back on him? And that you are turning their hearts back again. That's the best part. Would you reveal yourself because you're not a God who is out there to say I'm right, but you're a God who is what? You're bringing us back to you. Can you say amen when you're so grateful to have a God that is always trying to bring you back to him? Amen? Not a God who's trying to say, you better prove yourself. You better get yourself right. You better be worthy of me. And God goes to rebellious people and says, will you turn your hearts back to me? Because I am that kind of God. And then the fire of God burns up. And it just doesn't burn up the bull. Did you catch that? Burns up the wood, the stone, the dirt. Did you ever see dirt burn? I've seen singe, but I never see dirt burn. And then what was the best part? The four jugs of water poured three times. All the water licked up to show. This was not a pyrotechnic. <laughs> this was not an illusion. If this is going to happen, it's going to be God. And so Elijah shows to the world that he's God. I want to share three questions to us based on this. First question is this. Where is this battle today? And some of us, you watch the news and you're saying, it's in ISIS. It's in Syria and Libya. And it is. But in the 21st century in America, have any of you this week, I hope I'm wrong, been held at gunpoint and say, do you believe in Jesus Christ? So where is this battle today? Where is this battle to say God is God and he is worthy of following? Where is this battle? Is it in our politics? Sure, but we've had that for hundreds of years. Where is it? I want to tell you guys, it's scarier than politics, D.C., the culture. 
You know where this battle to show and prove who is the true God? Is it God of Abraham and Israel or is it other gods? That battle goes on every day. Do you know where? It's in your house. It's in your mundane, unspectacular, everyday moments. In that sitting there, talking to your children, watching TV, what goes through your mind. The battle is, God is saying, am I your God? Because when we come to church, it's easy to see a cross and a stained glass and say, God, (laughs) you know, yes. And then we go home, the battle goes. As you're driving home, as you're thinking about jobs and future, your girlfriend, boyfriend, marriage, your life, is God really God of your life? Or is he a tool to get you to what you really worship? I've seen this many times, but it's human nature. You you don't have a job, so you cry out, you fast. God, I love you, please. I trust you. You get the job. See you later. Thanks. I'll catch you in 10 years when I need a new job. Come on. We've all done it. That's not just few people. We've all done that. And the battle for God, it doesn't happen in spectacular fashion of, I'll meet you on top of that mountain. Let's see who's real. It happens in your hearts, in your everyday, in the way you talk, in the way you deal with your neighbors, in how you choose. And so the question becomes, is God really God? I want to share you a quick article because we're having a PTA meeting. Someone wrote a little article that says, the most important thing my parents taught me about faith. And this is what he said. You know, parents who try to get their kids to become Christians, religion. He says this. All these religious activities, they weren't doing these things for us. They weren't doing them to be seen. Like, hey, Sunday, come on. Let's have our Bible go to church. That's important, but look what he was saying. They were doing these things because they loved the Lord and loved to spend time with him, and that spoke volumes to me. Did you catch that? The way you love Jesus in your everyday life without even your kids knowing that you're watching you. That's what stuck with this kid. Not, we're going to go to church, shut up, don't chew gum, worship, memorize a verse, we'll go home. He says, those were good, I saw that, but what really made an impact was when I hear the conversations, when I see my dad reading the Bible by himself, and then he goes on, here is one thing I learned from my parents. Nothing can take the place of simply living as a Christian In view of my children, no amount of formal theological training, church attendance, or family devotions will make up for a general apathy about the things of the Lord. I can catechize my children all day and every day, but if I have no joy and no delight in the Lord, and if I am not living out my faith, my children will see it and know it. The battle for who is God in your life. It happens in your most mundane, unspectacular, ordinary life. Your grandchildren see it. Your nieces see it. And what it's driving us to do is don't ask the question, what do I do? The question is, do you love Jesus as much as he loves you? You get that right, it's game over. That's my story with my mom. 
By the way, I had those family devotions. Oh, boy, did I have those family devotions. My dad would be like, come together, children. And we'd be like, no. 20 minutes of just torture. When I was young, I was like, dad's reading the Bible. He's sharing it and he's preaching it. My mom's praying. And and we're like, oh, you know, America's Funniest Home Video is on. Oh, Knight Rider is on. A-Team is on. And I hear Mr. T has an awesome thing he's going to do today. And I got to tell you, what stuck to me from that was not the actual devotion. I can't remember one thing my dad preached. But when I look at their faces and they love Jesus and this is something they love so much that they're willing to do this to children who can't understand Korean, that got through and I never resented it. And today I look back and I say, thank you, dad and mom, for your faith and love. The battle for God doesn't happen by your votes. doesn't happen by your political. It happens when you're not seen. So Elijah, Elijah does a spectacular thing. And the question of where's the battle today, it happens in our everyday. So two more questions and it's a little quicker. Some of us say, come on, don't raise your hand on this one. Some of us say, where is my fire? I would believe in God if I had a sign like that. Right? Come on. I've heard two people from my church actually said, you know, it'd be nice if God gave me that fire. And some of you are thinking, yeah, that's what I thought. If I had a fire come down and blow up a bull, I'd be like, Christian. <laughs> and, and so that's a good question. So where's my sign? And I just want to, I don't have an answer, but I have a question for you. If that were to happen, would you really fully believe Take my life. Take my money. Take my future. You are God. I want to give you all of it. Would you really do that? Don't answer. Just process that. Because the question we have is not one of information. Is he God? Or spectacular visualization. The question we have is, are you willing to die and be a servant of an invisible God and say, here's my life. I will follow you. It's not a matter of sign. I think it's a matter of It's really a matter of your will. And so we ask for signs to say, if there's a sign, I'll do it, but I can't. It's 90% of those people, I really believe, even if you do, I don't think you'll believe because your pride or your comfort, your security of yourself is bigger than just revealing. But that's a question. But here's a third question. What is our sign? And we have a sign. Do you know what that sign is? We have a sign that's better than Elijah's fire. Can someone please yell out, what is a sign that we have that is more spectacular, more overwhelming, and more revealing that God is God? Yeah, I love this church. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Because you're not the first ones, but somebody went to Jesus and said, show us a sign that you're from God. And Jesus says this. And he made, like, water into wine. No, he didn't do that. He did that, but that wasn't it. Show us a sign that you're God. And he said, hold on, I'm going to make you into a girl. Zap. (gasps) Take me back. No, that didn't happen. That happened in a Disney movie. What did he do? So when people asked him, show us a sign that you're God, Matthew 12, 39, 41, he answers, 
a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. Well, excuse me, you know, forgive me. But none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So no, you will get no sign except for one sign, the sign of Jonah. What happened to Jonah? Swallowed by a big fish. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. You want your sign? You want a sign that God is God and we are the right place and that Jesus is the triune God? You want a sign that says, this is something to give my whole life to? Jesus was not just a teacher. Jesus was not just a great leader. He was God who died and rose again three days later. Hallelujah. And do you remember what he said to Thomas when Thomas said, show me Jesus and let me put my hand in his finger and my hand in his side and I will believe. And then Jesus pops up a week later and then Thomas goes, whoa. And Jesus says, here I am. Stop your doubting and believe. And you know what does Thomas say? My Lord and my God. And then Jesus says something to us. Blessed are those who believe when they see, but more blessed are those who believe without seeing it. If you believe there was a man who died and rose again, the sign of God being the God above all gods, it has been given to us. Stop wavering between two opinions. You don't need more information. The question is, will you trust and will you believe? And what God is trying to do in this lower story is, in the messes of your life, I am going to reveal myself. Even through King Ahab, I am going to make people know that I am God. And in 21st century, what he's asking us, stop your wavering. If you're going to be a follower, give me all of yourself. I just, I don't need your Sundays. I don't need your, even your money. What God is saying to us is, I want you. I want your heart. I want to be your God. Stop wavering. And the people ended with, let's be corny, but would you say this with me? The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. One more time. The Lord, he is God. Let's pray. This is not very Presbyterian of us, but I just feel like there is a little conviction here. There is a God who calls us, who sent prophets, who sent Jesus, his one and only son. And today we go to church and we do church as an activity, as an extracurricular activity, as a part of our life. That's good. But I don't know if that's the same thing as saying, Jesus, you're my love, my devotion. You're my everything. And I just want to do something kind of different. And uh, I just want to ask Elvin to play a little piano. But as we just gather here, before we take communion, before we take this body and blood and say, Jesus, you died for me. You rose again. You forgave my sins. I want to ask you all, maybe some of you have been wavering. Maybe some of you have been getting close and you're on that track and you're getting there. You're, you're recognizing 
I can't live for money. Money lets me down. I can't live for a girlfriend. Girlfriends let me down. I can't live for a husband or a wife or a man. They let me down. I, I can't. These things are not my saviors. It is God. And God is saying to you, the battle is not going to happen when ISIS, if they come, or that in those stories. It may, but it's going to happen in your everyday mundane life. And in those moments, are you going to declare, God, you are my God. And I want to do something. I don't know if one person will do it. I don't, but I want to just take about a few minutes to ask. If Jesus is your God, and you want to say, to him alone I give my undivided heart and I desire to live for him. That I don't want to live in the community culture and, and just kind of blend in. But as Elijah challenged, how long will you waver? Today I know. I'm not dedicating myself or rededicating. I'm just making a de- declaration that God is God. That Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is. If that's you... I just want to ask you to come down and walk and just come to the front of the steps here. And I just want to pray for you. And the reason why I do that is there's this pride that I just want to do it quietly, but there's something about making a willful declaration to say, I'm going to get up and I'm going to come down in view of all these people, whether they think of me one way or the other. And I want to say, Jesus, I've been wavering and I want to give, with your help, all of myself to you. If that's you, I just want to ask you to just come and just stand in front of the steps. And I just want to pray. And if you don't stand up, there's no judgment on you. You could be doing that in your heart. But there's some, some of us who need that willful challenge and invitation to say, God of the upper story is the God of this lower story, and he is here. So I want to invite you. Would you make a willful decision? Would you shed the bowels and the Asherah poles of your life, and would you come? And of course, don't do it because your friends are doing it. It's just between you and God, and, and in view of this, but it's this laying down our pride, laying down what other people may think of me, I don't care. And it's a confession, it's a repentance, as well as it is a declaration. I don't want to waver. And that everyday battle, God, that you have to give me that strength to choose you. And that, God, that you have to let me be one who delights in you and joyful in you. Anybody else? Let's pray. God, I thank you for these brothers and sisters and and some others who are still maybe declaring the same thing. And we come to you, Lord God, every Sunday and we worship you. And on the outside, we do these things, but on the inside, we're, we're, we're divided. We want the world. We want you. We want everything. And we're just sometimes just so confused. And I stand here as one who battles that every single day. I thank you for being a God who has revealed himself in the midst of a nation that's gone rogue in Israel through one man. 
And I thank you, God, that you're doing that same thing today. And as these men and women stand here before you, Lord God, would you pour over them your incredible grace, your affirmation, your declaration that they are the ones that you've been turning their hearts back. And that, God, more than what they do on the outside, that from the inside out, that they would start turning and saying, my heart, my life, it's yours. God, forgive us, and thank you for forgiving us. Lead us into a a domain and, and in a world where it will look different. The world may not change, but to us it looks so different because we know who we are. We know what we are, and we know we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ who died and rose again as the sign above all signs that the God who created the universe is the God who is calling us by name today. Bless them, Lord, and we pray these things humbly, joyfully, gladly in the name of Jesus Christ, the one and only. Amen.